there are things you don't know about, things in their past, things done to them, things that they've done, decisions that they've made that are bad decisions that have led to the place where they are. Everyone has a story, and a little humility goes a long, long way. Do you and I really think that we are better than anyone else? That's rhetorical, because I think sometimes we do. I think sometimes I do. Do we have, though, some special claim on grace because we are inherently holier or kinder than someone else? Is it impossible for you to imagine that you might succumb to some horrible failure in any number of ways in your life? A fresh dose of humility does wonders for the soul, and it is medicine for praying for others, even difficult people. Even in the midst of direct opposition by the Corinthians, Paul can say, I thank my God always for you. That sounds insane. A posture of humility naturally leads to the second element of Paul's prayer approach, and that's gratitude. Gratitude. When you and I humbly remember how much we need God's grace, and when we get in touch with how susceptible we are to temptation, we become grateful for the graces that we can easily take for granted. Like, I don't deserve to live in Bellingham, Washington. I've traveled quite a few places in the world, great places, wonderful places, places people talk about and travel to on purpose, and I come back every time thinking, this is a really great place. Like the hottest it gets here is like in the 80s. I love that, okay. Uh, I don't deserve good health, relatively good health. I'm 41, I haven't had a major issue yet. I don't deserve my wonderful wife and children. I, don't, I, I didn't earn that. I certainly don't deserve to be standing before you and uh, being a pastor if all things being equal. I'm just a guy who got called to do this. It's, it's not what I deserve. And in terms of praying for other people, praying with gratitude helps us to love others more, um, even as a side benefit, it helps us to love God more too. Let's start with some low-hanging fruit, okay? So think of a person, if it helps, close your eyes. Uh, Think of a person in your life who you absolutely love, a friend, a parent, Uh, a child, spouse. Okay, just get one in your head, someone that you love. And in your head, try and come up with two or three things that you are just so thankful for in that person. You might even follow up later on this evening or tomorrow, um, or you could journal it in your notes section right now, I thank God for you because. What would you say about that person that you love so much? Okay. Even with people we love and who love us back, praying with gratitude can help our prayers to flow. If you just have those two or three things in your mind for that person that you love or care about, 
it's a jumping off point for prayer. You can thank God for those wonderful qualities that you see in that person that you hold so dear. Now let's try an exercise or think about those in our lives who we love but don't always love us back. What about the brother or sister in Christ who is difficult to get along with? Like, it just is a fact. Um, They're just difficult to get along with. Or what about the believer who has made choices, maybe even a son or a daughter, a mother, a father, a close friend, who's turned their back on you, who's maybe turned their back on God? How would you pray for them in gratitude? Well, what Paul shows us is that you look for things to be thankful for, and it's work. You work at looking for things to be thankful for. Paul teaches us that that the first place to look is not within the person themselves, but look at what God has done in that person. What has God done in them that you could be thankful for? Look at the text. Paul thanks God for them because of the grace given to them by Jesus Christ. We can be grateful that they are redeemed in Christ. If you've got a difficult brother or sister in Christ and you know I I should be praying for them, first thing you can do is like, I thank God for so-and-so because you saved them. And that means you are at work in them. And that means that you love them. I thank God for them because God loves them. Paul gives thanks that the Corinthians have been enriched by God, have been spiritually gifted by God. They were a gifted, gifted church. They had many qualities to be grateful for. Now, they were prideful and arrogant, and that's, what, that's, that's a part of the reality of that picture too, but Paul could at least start with, I am thankful for the grace you gave them, God, and I am thankful that they are so gifted, God. What a talented group of people. Now think of someone in your life who's difficult to pray for for whatever reason. What has God done in their life that you could possibly be thankful for? Take a moment. Think of that person who is difficult. What has God done in their life that you could be thankful for? What qualities do they possess that you could be grateful for? I've met some hard people, hardened people. And I've read plenty of books um, about horrible historical figures. I've yet to, to meet one or to read one who was 100% evil. Some come close to the 95 range. But I've yet to meet one that's 100% evil. There's always something you can celebrate about someone, something to be grateful for. This approach, why is this important? This approach of gratefulness will actually soften your heart in a significant way, in a powerful way. Many times we find it easily, and I'm, I'm a, a victim, not a victim, a perpetrator of this as well. Many times we find it easily, easy to demonize people for maybe one thing that they've done to us 
or a social slight and we interpret it the wrong way and you think, oh, that person's a jerk or that person doesn't like me, so I'm not going to give the time of day, right? It's so easy to take a small sample size of someone's life and to completely make them out to be the bad guy. When you take the time, and it is work, to find something to be thankful for and grateful for in a person, it brings the walls down. It's the first step of reconciliation. And it's important to note, by the way, uh, that finding things to be grateful for when praying for a difficult person does not mean that you automatically trust that person, especially someone who's hurt you in a significant way. It does not mean that you've automatically got to become close with the person. We're not talking about that whole gamut. I'm talking about praying for people in the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that you're automatically just going to start liking someone because who's critical and mean-spirited. Um, chances are they're not going to change ever if, or right away. Um, that's not the point, is to get someone to change. The point is that it softens your heart, and it might just bless and absolutely transform that person's life. It does mean that we can find joy in praying for someone. I know that's, that's kind of weird. What if that person never uh, repents of a sin that they've done to you? What if they stay standoffish and distant? You can still find joy in your life for praying for them. That is a significant difference. You don't have to be held hostage by someone else's hatred, by someone else's toxicity. You can find joy in praying for them. So uh, we start with humility, which leads to gratitude. Gratitude is giving thanks for what has already been given. Thank you, God, for X, Y, and Z. But the third element is praying a blessing. That's asking for what has not yet happened. Okay? Paul's prayers are for Christians, uh, in, in this case, uh, for disciples of Jesus, for the church. But what if the person you're praying for isn't a disciple of Jesus? Well, you can still be humble, and you can still be grateful for lots of wonderful qualities because every human's made in God's image and has some wonderful qualities and the fingerprints of God all over them. And as you pray, you can pray that this person you're praying for would come to know the love of Jesus that transcends understanding, that you can pray that they would have a soft heart for Jesus. You can pray that the Holy Spirit would bring the holy conviction of sin and the joy of new life through faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here this evening listening to the sermon. You're saying, well, I'm not even a disciple of Jesus yet. Great. You can be humble, and you can be grateful, and you can pray, Lord, soften my heart. I want to know what this guy's talking about. I want to experience this joy of the Holy Spirit. That's all on the table. One thing you don't see Paul doing, though, is praying that people would be more like him, <laughs> He doesn't pray that difficult people would just get their act together and be nicer. He doesn't pray that that boss would learn how to actually lead better and do it my way. Paul's prayers function at a more foundational level than that. Like we saw last week, Paul prays for things like Jesus taking up residence in somebody's heart. Like, like, like being filled to the fullness of God. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, and that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know what it is the hope of his calling. That's kind of where Paul's at. 
You may want someone's symptoms to change. Maybe use a breath mint at the water cooler or, you know, whatever, not, chew, not talk with their mouth open of food. You might want to pray that prayer, but Paul, Jesus wants to change the whole person. And I guarantee you, if someone is filled with the love of Jesus and the power of God and the Spirit working in their inner person, like, they're going to change for the better. And if they're changing for the better and you still don't like, maybe you need to pray that prayer for yourself and you need to change for the better. Paul is at a more foundational level, praying for transformation. And the great thing about praying this type of prayer in humility is that when I'm asking for blessings for others, I find myself saying, yeah, Lord, and do that for me too. I need it. Like, help my loved ones who don't yet know how much you love them. Help them to know the depth of your love. And then I'm thinking, and can I get some of that too? I want a side order because I don't fully know the depth of your love yet. And help my friend whose lifestyle is, is leading them to destruction. Know that she's the beloved of God and his precious daughter. Help her to know her infinite dignity as a daughter of God. And then I think, yeah, and, and, and help me to, to realize that I'm your beloved son. I want some of that too. See, we start praying these blessings for people and we realize like, I want on that train as well. So far we've seen three elements of Paul's prayer posture. Humility, gratitude, blessing. And the fourth and final element is essential. It's confidence in Jesus. Confidence in Jesus. Yeah, Paul doesn't humble himself and do the work of finding things to be thankful for in the Corinthians because he's a great guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy or whatever, but he, he doesn't call down God's blessings because he's got wishful thinking, like maybe if I pray this prayer, something's going to happen, or maybe they'll change. He isn't merely hoping that the Corinthians are going to pull it all together, that they're going to, you know, respond better to Jesus. I'm not even sure Paul would waste his breath on that if he didn't have confidence in Jesus. The reality is Paul doesn't ever put his faith in his faith. Paul doesn't put his faith in his faith, and neither should we. Because like Paul, what we should be putting our faith in is God's faithfulness. In reference to the Corinthian church, a church allowing open sin in their ranks, a church divided by cliques of competing personalities, competing theologies, Paul says, this is crazy, he says that Jesus Christ will confirm them as blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows full well all the sinfulness of their church and all of their pride and all of their arrogance. And what he's saying is that on the last day when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, when he comes to bring heaven to earth, he will stand with all who place their faith in him as Lord and Savior. And the Corinthians did that. They did that. And he is confident that they are the beloved of Jesus. Jesus, when he returns, is going to confirm them as saved. But that word confirm is used twice in verses 4 through 8. It, the NIV sometimes renders it keep, that Jesus will keep them. Or the NRSV is strengthened, that he'll be strengthened. All these are attempts to translate this Greek word, bebainao, bebainao, which at that time had meaning in two different worlds. The first world was the legal world. It carried the meaning of guaranteeing a contract. The second world was the connotation of God's hesed from the Old Testament, his covenant 
keeping love. God was faithful to keep his covenant to, the, uh, to his people even though they sinned against him. And the Corinthians, through faith in Jesus, were part of that people of God. And you, through faith in Jesus, are part of that people of God. And the people who, who are Jesus' people, no matter what mistakes they have made, are part of that people of God. And God is faithful to them. God is faithful. He will keep his covenant even to them. And he's going to keep his covenant to you who are in Christ. Yeah, even you. Even you who has doubts. And that, for that difficult brother or sister in Christ, he will keep his covenant with them in Christ. All things new. This is the gospel. And that means that our prayers are not prayers for what Jesus might do if he feels like it. They're prayers affirming of what Jesus has already done and will definitely do. And to me, and I hope for you, that makes all the difference. When you're low on faith, when you don't think your prayers will do any good, when you can't even believe the prayers coming out of your own mouth, pray anyway, because no one was ever saved by your faith in the first place. I don't care if you feel good when you're praying or you feel like definitely this is going to happen. No one was ever helped or saved by your faith. They're all saved by God's faithfulness expressed in Jesus, the faithful one. Amen? So let me sum up the four elements of Paul's prayer posture for you, note takers. Humility, gratitude, blessing, and confidence in Jesus. I just have one more observation Most of us, when we pray, um, likely pray in silence uh, or by ourselves. I mean, it's kind of what we do. Uh, In fact, there's in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, go into your closet and pray. There he's more talking about don't showboat your prayer, okay? It's, It's okay to pray with other people, use words, that kind of thing. But most of us probably, when we pray, we have a traditional Protestant quiet time or, you know, whatever it is, and we We don't pray around people. But notice that Paul's prayers are written and designed to be read over a congregation. His words not only invoke the power of God in silence for someone else, but they encourage the hearer. Imagine this prayer, the the one from the Ephesians, read over the Ephesians. The herald comes, hey, we got a letter from Paul today. Listen to what he says. And those words are prayed over the people. So here's, here's an idea that you could practice if you feel like it. If the chance comes up, and as you are going to pray, maybe over a child or a friend or a spouse or in a small group, consider how your prayer might be a blessing to someone else. How could you give thanks for someone right in their presence as a way of encouraging them by what you say. I wrote a short prayer to close the sermon for you, uh, to pray to God our Father um, in your presence. Would you pray with me? Lettered Streets Covenant Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God for you and for your faithful presence in this community. By the generous gifting of the Holy Spirit, you continue to reflect Jesus in your places of work and in your families, in your neighborhood, and not least to me.
you are generous. You mimic well our Father who is so generous himself. You are kind and hospitable. You're playful and yet gritty enough to engage in meaningful and the difficult work of the kingdom. And I pray according to the glorious riches of God the Father that you would be strengthened with power in the inner person, that Jesus himself would take up residence in your hearts, that you would be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, not slaves to the emotions of your circumstances. And I pray victory over you from addictions and habits and apathy, victory over any path that leads to death. For you are destined for life, Zoe life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.